From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Hello, friends. My name is Joseph Backholm, sitting in for Tony Perkins today. Welcome to Washington Watch. I'm a senior fellow for Biblical Worldview and Strategic Engagement here at Family Research Council. So thankful that you are spending your time with us today in order to keep you up on the latest of what's happening in Washington, D.C. and around the country. Here's the stories we're going to cover today. Is the state of Massachusetts trying to stop a school, a church, from opening a public school? We'll cover a significant situation with significant implications for religious freedom today. As well, the House of Representatives has just passed legislation that would decriminalize marijuana. Why would they want to do that? And what would it mean for our country if they do? The end of the program, Disney has received a lot of attention in the last couple of weeks because of their opposition to parental rights. The release of several videos of Disney executives discussing how and why they do what they do is revealing. What can Disney teach the church about discipleship? We'll talk about that in our worldview segment. But first, the headlines. Prices are rising, the border crisis is worsening, and the war in Ukraine is raging. Amid all this, President Biden and his administration is focused mostly on transgenderism. Yesterday, the White House announced several initiatives as part of the Transgender Day of Visibility. And in his remarks yesterday, President Biden made it clear that his administration is not just promoting transgenderism here and there, but everywhere. This administration is standing up for you against all these hateful bills. And we're committed to advancing transgender equality in the classroom, on the playing field, at work, in our military, in our housing and healthcare systems, everywhere, simply everywhere. Everywhere, simply everywhere. What does everywhere look like? The White House gave us a peek yesterday and here to tell us more about what the Biden administration is doing on this is FRC's Marjorie Jackson. Uh, Marjorie, welcome back to the program. Thanks for having me, Joseph. So give us some detail yesterday, the Transgender Day of Visibility. What were some of the policies the White House announced? Yes. So last year, uh, on March 31st, Biden proclaimed uh, March 31st as International Transgender Day of Visibility, which should come as no surprise to those who voted for him, considering that one of his campaign promises was to be the most LGBTQ forward president in the history of America. So some of those policies that were discussed in the White House statement include that there will be an X gender marker in several forms of documentation starting April 11th. Uh, One of the most notable is that passports will now have an X gender marker alongside male and female. Uh, In addition to that, uh, students who are looking to file for financial aid for college when they're filling out the FAFSA will now be able to provide gender identity information. Not only is the ex-gender marker one of the more radical-seeming policies that are being pushed, uh, but the White House is now broadening access to, uh, continually to gender-affirming care, in their words, uh, describing social affirmations, puberty blockers, hormone therapy, and gender-affirming surgeries. And for the first time, it 
it appears that the Biden administration on behalf of the country is actually encouraging things like uh, surgical and chemical castration. And in ways that kind of been uh, affirmative of the uh, of the movement in general, but not specifically the surgeries. And that's very concerning. But yesterday, also the White House statement, they condemned, quote, the proliferation of dangerous anti-transgender legislative attacks around the country. What are they referring to there? Sure. So Biden was referring to these various hateful uh, so-called anti-transgender bills. Uh, One of the ones that you may have seen recently in the news is the Florida Parental Rights and Education Bill. It's been getting a lot of traction in the news uh, for prohibiting classrooms from instructing kindergartners through third graders on sexual orientation and gender identity. Uh, Another notable one is that in Arizona and Oklahoma, there are laws that prohibit biological men from competing in women's sports. Last year, Arkansas and several other states uh, passed the SAFE Act, which is saving adolescents from experimentation, uh, which was banning gender-affirming procedures for minors. So those are some of the different bills that uh, Biden is calling hateful. But to be clear there on that point, Marjorie, Arkansas has passed the SAFE Act. Several other states are moving it presently, but and we expect more to pass it this year. But I, I believe Arkansas is the one that has passed it fully. But the history of this is important as well. The Biden-Harris administration emphasis on this issue didn't start yesterday. What else have they done since the beginning of their administration to prioritize this agenda? Well, you're right in saying that, Joseph. I mean, this is a campaign promise that Biden has continually followed through on in uh, very much pushing uh, pro-LGBTQIA legislation. So in addition to condemning uh, these anti-transgender state legislation, uh, Biden almost immediately upon taking office reversed Trump's ban on uh, the uh, transgender service members serving in the military. And not only is he allowing them to serve in the military, military, uh, but he is allowing for government funding of uh, what they're calling gender-affirming care. Now, in addition to that, uh, Biden continues to press Congress to pass the Equality Act, which some are calling a direct hit on religious liberty, uh, as it plans to codify uh, some sexual orientation and gender identity issues into American civil rights. Roger Jackson, thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Joseph. And while the Biden administration is going all in for the transgender political lobby, it continues to come short when it comes to the energy crisis, even while claiming that he's, quote, using every tool to help um, Americans amidst crisis that he's pinning on Russia's president and not on his own policies. My plan's going to help ease that pain today and safeguard again against tomorrow. I'm open to ideas to strengthen the plan, but I'll not be put off and put it on hold. It's time to deliver true long-term energy independence in America once and for all. And I'm going to continue to use every tool at my disposal to protect you from Putin's price hike. Is President Biden really open to new ideas? Joining me now to talk about this and more is U.S. Representative Matt Rosendale, who's a member of the House Freedom Caucus, the Veterans Affairs Committee, and the Committee on Natural Resources. He represents Montana's at-large congressional district. Congressman Rosendale, good to see you. Thanks for having me on today, Joseph. Well, before we get into the energy crisis, we're going to get right there. Your take on the transgender day of visibility that the Biden administration really prioritized yesterday. 
Uh, it's disturbing. Uh, I personally believe, and I think most of the people across Montana believe, that any time that you take a child and you subject them to this type of surgery or treatment, that the people that are responsible for it should be charged with child abuse. I really believe it is that simple. We've had people come before us in the Veterans Affairs Committee and tell us that the uh, likelihood of, of folks suffering with some type of mental illness or even taking their own lives uh, because a suicide is 40% greater risk of someone that is a transgender. And yet we continue to promote and try to bring these individuals into the military. I had a general sit here in my office um, and he will remain unnamed and told me that when I asked him about his recruitment efforts, how they were going when, when this was beginning to be a top priority for the military, that we were bringing a lot of broken individuals into service right now. And I think that the people across our country want our service members to be completely focused on their mission, which is to defend this nation. And anything that distracts from that is just that, a distraction. And they're not doing their best to protect us. That's really well said, but I'm going to move on to another topic with you. Uh, go, President Biden yesterday announced he's going to release more than 180 million barrels of oil from the U.S. United States Strategic Reserve. Is that the right move? It is not. What you're going to see is a small drop in the cost of gasoline at the pumps, where we've been seeing it increase to the tune of 40 50, 60 percent uh, since the time that Biden took office. The big problem is that he stopped taking the leases and putting them out to offer so that our oil and gas development companies could continue to expand their opportunities to drill wells. And the uh, permits that they currently have or that they're waiting for, so the leases that they currently have that they're trying to get permits issued on, he's been slow walking those permits. In addition to that, we all know that on the very first day of his administration that he canceled the permit for the Keystone XL pipeline. And while the left doesn't like us to continue to bring that up, it's just a fact and you can't, you can't hide facts. And the Keystone XL pipeline would have brought 800,000 barrels a day of crude oil into our country, most of it from Canada, true, but 100 to 150,000 barrels a day of that crude would have been generated in North Dakota and Montana and the Bakken oil fields. So it would have been partially domestic as well. And that one item by itself would have uh, filled or taken the, uh, the load that we were losing from the 600,000 barrels of crude oil that we've been importing from Russia. So we stopped that importation and the Keystone XL pipeline alone would have been able to fill that void. The Strategic Reserve is a great national asset and it was created to deal with national emergencies. Is this a national emergency or is this a political emergency? It's a political emergency, and it's been a self-inflicted uh, problem, Joseph. Uh, again, the, the president and this administration have taken action since the day they took office to limit the supply. The cost of crude oil is based on the global supply and demand. We're consuming about 100 million barrels a day, and that is around the world. The United States consumes about 21 million barrels a day. At the time Biden took office, we were producing 13 million barrels a day. And right now, that production has dropped down to about 11 million barrels a day. So the short math tells you we are producing 2 million barrels a day less crude oil here in our country, which means we have to go and buy it from another tyrant overseas instead of producing it 
right here domestically. So the president, instead of spending time trying to talk to Venezuela and Saudi Arabia and Iran to please send energy to us, should be opening up the uh, federal land so that we can begin leasing them and start issuing those permits that are tied up right now that they're slow walking so that our oil and gas companies can continue this production. Congressman Rosendale, about a minute left, but uh, you think you've teased this. The president asked for new ideas. You have one. Tell us about the Restore Onshore Energy Production Act that you introduced yesterday. Joseph, this is simply going to put back into place something that should have been done, and quite frankly, that the courts have ordered the president to do, and that is for each quarter for the president to allow those federal lands to be leased, to put them out and put the offer up so that it's eight Western states uh, that it, it, it comprises, but any other states that possibly would have that potential as well to be able to begin leasing those properties again. Once we begin leasing those properties again, then it's going to be up to Congress to also put the uh, pressure on the permitting agencies to make sure that they stop slow walking the permits so we can get our production back up again. It takes a quite some time to go from leasing a property to developing the field, making sure that you can actually produce, and then to, to get the wells drilled and, and be, begin producing that oil. We are, we are way beyond time that these leases need to be opened back up again, and that's exactly what this legislation will do. And the time, I think you're right, and I think America agrees with you, the time is now, the, the, the world we live in makes it imperative that we don't depend on the rest of the world to be able to get our power. Congressman Matt Rosendale, thank you so much for your time and your efforts on behalf of all of us. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Joseph. Stay with us coming up. A church in Massachusetts is facing overt hostility from local officials who are posed to deny their application to start a private school because they disagree with the school's beliefs. We'll talk about it when we come back. Stay with us. Are you struggling to spend consistent time in God's word? Then join Family Research Council on an exciting journey through the Bible. FRC's two-year Bible reading plan helps you to approach daily Bible reading with an intentional focus of diving deeper into the nature of God and how His Word speaks into cultural issues. By studying the Bible, we can see the grandeur of God unfold throughout the past. The Stand on the Word reading plan takes you through daily scripture in an engaging manner to help you stay grounded in God's truth. All wisdom comes from God. And he has given us the Bible as a way to understand the world. Start this adventure today with Family Research Council. When you sign up, we'll text you every Sunday with daily passages and questions that help prepare you for conversations with your friends and family. To begin this journey, visit frc.org Bible. With the current division and confusion of our culture, it is so important for Christians to root ourselves in the truth of God's word so that we are prepared to give a reason for the hope that we have. For this purpose, Family Research Council launched the Center for Biblical Worldview. The Center applies the Bible and the historical teachings of the Church to current issues. This helps Christians understand and live by a biblical worldview, know why Scripture must be authoritative, and equips believers to advance and defend the faith in workplaces, schools, communities, and the public square. The experts at the center address and provide resources on issues like religious liberty, abortion, voting, marriage, and sexuality. 
To access free resources like the Biblical Worldview series, go to frc.org worldview. To get highlights of the latest work of the Worldview Fellows, including blogs, interviews, and publications, sign up at frc.org subscriptions. At Family Research Council, it is important to us that we stay connected with you and that you stay informed. With the increase in tech censorship of conservatives and Christians, we've decided to be proactive to make sure we don't go completely dark due to censorship. That is why we created a tech subscription platform. If we get canceled, you can stay informed and still find updates on faith, family, and freedom. How? Just text STAND to 67742 to sign up for our text alerts, and you will get FRC's content straight to your phone. Again, just text STAND to 67742, and you will get special alerts on the biggest stories of the day. You can stay informed with just a simple text. We want you to be able to stay connected with like-minded community and to always have access to our content. Stay connected and informed. Just text STAND to 67742. Welcome back to Washington Watch. My name is Joseph Backholm, sitting in for Tony today. So glad that you have joined us. A couple weeks ago on this program, we highlighted the joint effort of eight churches in Columbus, Ohio, that will uh, to open a school that will be open later this year. And will be one in the broader network of Christian schools being started throughout the state of Ohio. Now, that's an encouraging movement and one we hope to see grow across the country. But what happens when a church is prevented by local officials from doing the same and opening their own school? Well, one church in Somerville, Massachusetts, is facing overt hostility to their application to open a private religious school Joining me now to talk about this is Andrew Beckwith, president of the Massachusetts Family Institute, which yesterday joined with First Liberty Institute in urging local officials in Somerville to allow the church to open a school. Andrew, welcome to Washington Watch. Thanks for having me on, Joe. Well, it's good to see you. What's happening there in Somerville with this school trying to start a church? Well, back in September of last year, a large Latino church called Vida Real decided that they wanted to open a K-8 school as a, an extension of their ministry to the community. So they applied to do that, and their application has been reviewed by a subcommittee of the overall school committee, and really the subcommittee has just been dragging their feet. Um, and so we got involved. They reached out to us for help, uh, and then we reached out to First Liberty, and we got involved when the subcommittee gave the church, a list of 35 questions they wanted answered. And then as we reviewed that, we saw that many of the questions were really inappropriate given what the legal responsibility of the school committee was. And some of them touched on areas such as human sexuality that we believed showed an indication of religious hostility or anti-religious hostility, really, towards the church. And then that was confirmed in the two most recent school committee meetings where members of this subcommittee really expressed overt hostility to the church and to the proposed school and did so, in their own words, sort of on moral ground. So you really have a, a clash of two different worldviews, two different religions, frankly. And that's just wildly inappropriate for a city entity to be doing. 
to a, a private religious institution. There's a constitutional right, as you know, uh, to have private religious education under both Massachusetts law and federal law. And we really think that the Somerville School Committee at this point is way out of line. We're hopeful that that will change. They have a meeting coming up Monday night where the full committee will be taking up this question. And we hope they do the right thing and approve the school. But we know there's definitely some hostility against the school on behalf of a number of the members, and it's very concerning. Andrew, is there so much ignorance of the First Amendment and what religious freedom means at this point that there are a lot of government officials who really believe it's their job to screen out the so-called bad religions and help the good ones? Yes, absolutely. Uh, We see that in in various contexts. Uh, I'll have students in public schools reach out to me because they've tried to start a Bible club and they're being told by even principals, oh, you can't do that. It's against uh, the Constitution, violation of separation of church and state. Of course, that's totally false. Uh, Students have the right to start Bible clubs in public schools. It's crystal clear. And usually a simple email to uh, the principal or the school committee or superintendent will clear that up. In this case, there may have been some initial ignorance. I really shouldn't speculate. But our understanding was uh, that was cleared up by district council, who was present at both of the two most recent school committee meetings. And, you know, you kind of watch him in one of the committee meetings, try to advise his clients, you know, in real time on a a live webinar, it's how the meetings are still held, that they need to follow the law. Uh, Of course, he had to be delicate about that. But at this point, I don't think there's any, there's no excuse of of it being ignorance because one of the school committee members even said, I wouldn't be able to look at myself in the mirror if we approved the school. I think it's the morally right thing to do to disapprove it uh, regardless of what the law is. And even said, you know, we, we pay the attorneys. We have, we have a budget line for attorneys. Um, that's what they're there for. So at this point, they know what they're doing, and they just don't care. It, it is incredible to hear them use this moral language, which they spent most of the last century trying to reject. And you're familiar with the old adage that you shouldn't attribute to a malice what could be attributable to incompetence. And when it comes to the government, you can often assume incompetence. But in this case, it really does feel like they're comfortable with the malice and they think that's where they should be. But you, along with our friends at First Liberty, sent a letter to the school and the city yesterday, the school board. Uh, what Correct. did you tell them? Well, we, we just laid out what the law says, again, so that there'd be no confusion. Uh, it should be essentially reinforcing what their own counsel has been telling them. And we also laid out with specificity some of these statements, again, public statements in these meetings that uh, two of the school committee members have made and how concerning those are. Um, and again, clarified the, the limited scope of review that the school committee has. I mean, according to Massachusetts law, the school committee has to approve or disapprove these applications for private schools. But the standard is, does the, does the course of instruction proposed by the private school equal in thoroughness and efficiency that of the public school? So you can't, for example, force private religious schools to teach critical race theory or uh, transgender pronouns to elementary kids or things like that. And frankly, the standard in Somerville is even lower because the public schools in Somerville um, are their their standardized test scores are below the state average in every category for every grade. So again, here you have a, a church just trying to offer a ministry to its own people, to the surrounding community, to create a private religious school that's consistent with the 
morals and beliefs um, and worldview of their church members. And frankly, it'll probably be even better academically than the Somerville Public Schools. Andrew, we've only got about 40 seconds left, but what do you see as the future for this case? Is this going to be resolved quickly? Well, I certainly hope so. Best case scenario is that the school committee votes to approve the application on April 25th, and they can open up in the fall, which is their plan. Uh, If not, I think we're looking at what could be really a groundbreaking case because the parents don't have the right to create new schools for their children. They weren't serious trouble in, in Massachusetts and the nation as a whole. Uh, That's exactly right. Uh, We are in serious trouble. And for my money, Christian education is the solution to that problem. We're so thankful for the church there doing their part to make that happen. And we're thankful to you as well uh, for defending their right to do so. And we pray for a quick and equitable resolution to this. Andrew Beckwith, thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Joe. Coming up after the break, is Congress about to legalize marijuana? Why would they want to and what would it mean if they do? That's the conversation we'll have when we come back. Stay with us. What is religious liberty and why should you care about it? Simply put, religious liberty is the freedom to choose your religious beliefs and to live according to those beliefs. Why should we care about this freedom? At Family Research Council, we care about religious freedom because we believe that it is an inherent human right that all governments have an obligation to protect. Tragically, not all governments do. Religious persecution is a tragic reality around the world that is not often acknowledged by the media, even though attacks on people of all faiths continue to increase globally. In Scripture, God calls Christians to pray and care for the persecuted church, the downtrodden, and those who cannot help themselves. Therefore, we must be advocates for those persecuted for their faith. To access Family Research Council's latest resources and to learn more about religious freedom and what you can do to help the persecuted, go to frc.org slash religious liberty. Do you want to be able to stay up to date on conservative news? Are you looking for Christian resources to help you stay politically engaged? Then download Family Research Council's Stand Firm app. With all of our content available at your fingertips, you will conveniently be able to stay up to date throughout your busy day. The Stand Firm app will give you access to a variety of resources, such as our most recent episodes of Washington Watch with Tony Perkins, tweets, and other social media posts, and our latest blogs, updates, and publications. Additionally, you will have the opportunity to take action and make your voice heard by contacting your elected officials on the issues that most concern you. Visit the App Store on your smartphone or mobile device and search Stand Firm to download Family Research Council's official Stand Firm app. Welcome back to Washington Watch. My name is Joseph Backholm, sitting in for Tony today. Reminder that the website is TonyPerkins.com, where you can find this and every episode of Washington Watch. Congress passed legislation today to remove marijuana from the Controlled Substances Act list, essentially legalizing the drug nationwide. What implications will this have? And in a busy week in Washington, President Biden also announced 
his budget proposal for 2023, which continues his reckless spending, including troublesome spending on abortion. Here to unpack all these issues and more is Connor Semmelsberger, Director of Federal Affairs for Life and Human Dignity, FRC. Connor, welcome back to the program. Great to be on, Joseph. Well, Connor, they refer to this as the MORE Act, and I'm not sure if that's because they want more marijuana or not, but it essentially legalizes marijuana at the federal level. Tell us about it. Yeah, that's actually exactly the reason they have that name. They want more marijuana, and they want us to, to tax it and subsidize it as well. Uh, the bill that passed through the House of Representatives today is, is appalling. It's not just a descheduling of marijuana, as you mentioned, which would sort of just give cover to the states that already legalize marijuana, both for me, uh, medical and recreational purposes. Uh, but yeah, expunge any record ever uh, regarding the, the drug cannabis, uh, promote it, subsidize it, give big, big tax breaks to marijuana industry and businesses that are already flooding Capitol Hill, uh, trying to lobby members uh, to allow legalized pot to continue to grow in our country. Now, proponents, of course, have a different understanding of why this bill makes sense. Let's go ahead and uh, play clip seven. Then I'm going to give you a chance to respond. Americans across the political spectrum, particularly younger Americans, recognize that now is the time for cannabis reform. Be good for the economy, good for economic activity, good for public safety good for social, racial, and economic justice. Connor Semmelsberger, is it good for uh, public safety? Is it good for the economy? Is it just like make everything wonderful? That's just an example that where Congress looks more and more like Disney every day. Uh, that is, uh, that's almost a cartoon image there um, in the sense that, you know, as a younger American myself, uh, this is a drug that impacts us the most. And I have to, have to hit this point. Back in 2019, President Trump's uh, Surgeon General, Dr General Jerome Adams, actually put out the Surgeon General's warning for cannabis. And it was very clear what the research had showed, that nobody, this was the Surgeon General's warning, no one under the age of 21 and no pregnant woman should ingest, take, use marijuana in any way, shape, or form, even for medical reasons, because of the clear impact it has on brain development. So when you talk about the economy, you talk about being safe, and for young people, a drug that affects them and their brain develop them the most, it's, boy, way, way off base from what, uh, where all the data has shown uh, this drug can lead. Connor, if that's the case, why have we seen a number of states decriminalize marijuana in recent years? Yeah, I hate to say it, but the, one of the major reasons is there's a ton of money and political backing to do this. Uh, they've, the marijuana industry is, is in some ways, uh, just the old odes of the tobacco industry. It really is. A lot of the same players, partners, and funds. Uh, and they had just seen a, a, a exact opening across the states, starting in cities, moving the medical push, and now the recreational push sweeping across the country. And uh, the federal government has little to say or little to stop these states from doing it, even though uh, if you look at our federal laws, it is illegal federally to use this drug for these reasons. So it's really a big a political uh, push. Uh, and, and the way they do it is make an economic argument, just as they did there. We can tax this thing, regulate it. But when you look at the states that have legalized, like a California, like a Colorado, uh, there's many, many issues that come around and they don't get the tax breaks that they really uh, perceive from uh, legalizing marijuana. 
As the saying goes, Connor, I tried to follow the science, but it led me directly to the money. And this could be another situation where that is happening. I want to switch gears on you a little bit. Another subject, uh, because the Biden budget proposal has massive spending, but it also has some concerns for those of us who care about life, doesn't it? Tell us about that. It does. And so, yeah, just to give the, the background, the, 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 the Congress just had passed last year's funding bills, which was six months late. And so as March comes around, they're already setting up the president's budget for this next funding cycle, uh, 2023. And yeah, the, the dollar amounts are extraordinary out of, out of this world in a time of inflation. But don't worry, what the president's trying to sell to the American people is despite all the economic hardships you're facing, we want to take your state ta- federal tax dollars and pay for abortions around the country. Uh, that's what they're signaling. They want to pay for abortions overseas as well and subsidize abortion industry over there. Um, and that's what they're signaling in the latest budget and what they are going to fight again. Thankfully, they failed last cycle, um, but they're going to fight once again leading into this election to take our state, ta- our federal tax dollars and pay for abortions. And, and tell us more about that. We, this Hyde Amendment issue has been a, a significant one. It has so far survived the Biden administration. What would the impact be here? Yep. So it's it's been in place since 1973. And thanks to great work at places like FRC and other pro-life organizations around the city here, uh, we maintain this 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 amendment that keeps our tax dollars from funding abortion has to be renewed every year to to the federal spending. Uh, So it's an annual fight. So we won the victory a couple months ago, whenever that last year's bills passed finally. And here we are at the fight once again. So we are always diligent, keeping to make sure not a single word or a single letter of these longtime amendments uh, will be taken away from our federal legislation. And Connor, the work that you do, if people only knew, even when you're in a defensive posture, how much is able to get done in Congress when you have the relationships, when you have the diligence, when you work hard enough, we are so grateful to you and everybody having the FRC team for your diligence on Capitol Hill. And we are especially grateful for your time telling us about it today. Thanks so much. Yep, thanks. It's quite a blessing to do this work. And he does it well, and the the entire team does. Coming up after the break, more insanity, this time not from Washington, D.C., from Florida. Lots of attention on Disney. We've heard a lot about what they are saying to themselves from the inside, but it also teaches us something about discipleship. That's what we're going to talk about in our worldview conversation when we come back. Stay with us. Do you want to be able to stay up to date on conservative news? Are you looking for Christian resources to help you stay politically engaged? Then download Family Research Council's Stand Firm app. With all of our content available at your fingertips, you will conveniently be able to stay up to date throughout your busy day. The Stand Firm app will give you access to a variety of resources, such as our most recent episodes of Washington Watch with Tony Perkins, tweets, and other social media posts, and our latest blogs, updates, and publications. Additionally, you will have the opportunity to take action and make your voice heard by contacting your elected officials on the issues that most concern you. Visit the App Store on your smartphone or mobile device and search Stand Firm to download Family Research Council's official Stand Firm app. What is religious liberty and why should you care about it? Simply put, religious liberty is the freedom to choose your religious beliefs and to live according to those beliefs. 
Why should we care about this freedom? At Family Research Council, we care about religious freedom because we believe that it is an inherent human right that all governments have an obligation to protect. Tragically, not all governments do. Religious persecution is a tragic reality around the world that is not often acknowledged by the media, even though attacks on people of all faiths continue to increase globally. In Scripture, God calls Christians to pray and care for the persecuted church, the downtrodden, and those who cannot help themselves. Therefore, we must be advocates for those persecuted for their faith. To access Family Research Council's latest resources and to learn more about religious freedom and what you can do to help the persecuted, go to frc.org slash religious liberty. Attention university students. Are you looking for an internship that will help you grow as a Christian leader and allow you to positively influence the culture? Then Family Research Council's internship program is for you. FRC's life-changing 12 to 15 week internship program will prepare and equip you for the next step in your professional journey. You'll enjoy a speaker series focusing on careers and callings, lectures from prominent conservative leaders, and weekly biblical worldview training. All of these offerings were created to aid you in your personal and professional development. As an intern, you will have the opportunity to work side-by-side with our experts in policy, communications, event planning, and more. The real-world experience you gain will prepare you to pursue a career of influence and make a difference wherever God calls you. This paid internship offers fully funded housing in the heart of downtown D.C., giving you the chance to experience our nation's capital. Visit frc.org slash internships to apply. Welcome back to Washington Watch. My name is Joseph Backholm, sitting in for Tony. So glad that you are with us. Well, it's that time of week again, of the week again. It's the Worldview Friday segment. And today's conversation is inspired by the Florida Parental Rights in Education Bill that was signed into law earlier this week and the response by the Disney Corporation to said bill. You may have heard the left vilifying it as the don't say gay bill. Earlier this month, White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki had this to say about the bill. A bill like this, uh, a bill that would uh, discriminate against families, against kids, um, put these kids in a position of not getting the support they need um, at a time where that's exactly what they need, is discriminatory. It's uh, a form of bullying. Um, It is horrific. Is it a form of bullying to tell kindergartners, kindergarten teachers, that they can't talk to their students about gender identity and homosexuality. Well, that's what the Democratic political leadership thinks. Are they right or are they out of touch with their base? In addition, does the way the White House partners with big corporations teach us something about how to influence hearts and minds? We're going to unpack that now, right now, with my colleague David Clausen, FRC's director of the Center for Biblical Worldview. David, good to see you. Happy Friday. Great to be back with you, Joseph. Happy Friday to you. Now, first, I want to give you a chance just to respond to Jen Psaki's comments there. It's horrific. It's a form of bullying. She's referring to a bill that tells schools that you can't teach uh, gender identity and human sexuality in kindergarten through third grades. Is that a form of bullying? 
Not at all, Joseph. And it just shows how out of touch the Biden White House is when they're characterizing this bill the way she is. You listen, you know, out of context, Joseph, if you were to listen to the press secretary's comments, you would think she was talking about some bill that would allow people to do horrible things to children and uh, to mislead them and misguide them and to maybe even inflict uh, harm on children. This bill, all it does is say that uh, children in the state of Florida, my home state of Florida, that are in kindergarten through third grade uh, can't be taught about gender and sexual orientation, gender identity, uh, things that even 52% of Democrats in the state of Florida don't want children to be learning. So it's a complete mischaracter mischaracterization, but it does show, unfortunately, uh, the priorities of this White House. There's so many layers to this politically, and I, I think I only want to get into one of them before we really get into our worldview conversation, uh, because Florida Governor Ron DeSantis has gotten a lot of support for his his position, basically supporting the bill. And also when Disney tried to threaten him, he just said, go away. I don't care what you think. And he wore their scorn and he referred to it as a badge of honor. But the question is, because the, the poll you cited, even 52% of Democrats agree with the principle of this bill, and a significantly greater percentage of, of Republicans and independents also agree with the bill, does that mean that saying no to woke corporations is no longer courageous because it's just politically good as well? Oh, I think it's just good policy, Joseph. Just, you know, a couple of years ago, North Carolina had to walk back a common sense bathroom bill that just said that biological males couldn't go in the intimate spaces of biological females. Just last year, the South Dakota governor refused to uh, sign a bill that would protect women's sports. And uh, now she's uh, done a kind of an about face and has now signed a bill. I think we've gotten to a point where the progressive left and their uh, extreme support of kind of these woke ideologies uh, is people are now aware of what they're doing. And so just good policy um, that these governors are standing for, I think it, it still does take courage. I think it still does take courage for Ron DeSantis to oppose Disney uh, and other corporations in his state. But I think increasingly uh, these kind of conservative politicians are just standing up for good policy uh, that people who are Republicans, Democrats and independents are recognizing. And we can be thankful for a world in which good policy does make good politics. That's what we want. We want the public supporting the right thing. And in this case, those stars do seem to have aligned. But David, I want to now shift the conversation to the reaction to this bill, and particularly the reaction uh, from the Disney Corporation. And you know it in ways that other people don't, because you grew up in Orlando, which is the home of the Disney company. Uh, but we heard this week, as they responded, they attempted to bully Governor DeSantis. They expressed their public outrage at really what America understands to be a pretty reasonable bill. But we got a bit of an understanding of why, because this week, we were allowed behind the curtain a Zoom meeting amongst a bunch of Disney creatives and executives was made public and the curtain got pulled back a bit and we got to see how they operate and what their objectives are. And first, I want to just describe I'm going to play one video. We're going to play clip four. And this one just describes what Disney has already done in pursuit of their gender uh, Goals. Let's go ahead and play that. Last summer, we, we removed all of the um, gendered 
greetings in relationship to our life skills. So we no longer say ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. Um, we, we've trained, we, we've provided training for all of our, our cast members in, in relationship to that. So now they know it's, it's hello everyone or hello friends. David, uh, what's the significance of that? Well, I think it's significant because I think Disney's been unmasked. Uh, and like you said, Joseph, this is especially personal for me. My grandfather, after World War II, moved to Orlando. Uh, it was kind of a, a sleepy town there in the middle of Florida. And uh, my dad tells me uh, in 1971, he was a young man when Disney came to town. And it was so exciting. And in the you know, decade or two after Disney came to Central Florida, you know, you had this family-trusted, family-friendly uh, amusement park that families from not just all over the country, but all over the world wanted to come to have family-friendly fun. And, you know, those of us who have followed some of these stories closely are, are not terribly surprised. But when you just hear that clip that you just played, Joseph, you know, it's it's intentional uh, taking away uh, references to ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. They used to, I have childhood memories going to watch Disney fireworks and you hear that phrase and, you know, the fireworks are about to come and you hear that Disney executive saying that they've intentionally removed that. It shows, Joseph, that they are subtle and what they're doing, but they are being very intentional about moving forward the goals of the moral revolutionaries. And, and keep in mind, by refusing to use terms, boys and girls, ladies and gentlemen, they are defying, they are standing in direct opposition to the created order as God described it in Genesis 1 when he said, male and female, he created them. And it wasn't controversial uh, to say that for most of human history, but now it is. And the Disney company has specifically said, did God made th make them male and female? No. And that's a, that should bring up memories of a familiar biblical story in Genesis chapter three, because it's the entire it's the entire problem that we're dealing with is the human desire and tendency to not to be gods ourselves and to believe that we know better than what God said. But it's it's more than just the male or female. And another part of this same conversation, again, Disney creatives and Disney executives having a conversation essentially about their LGBT uh, efforts. Now we're going to play clip five and th here they talk about adding queerness to all of Disney's content. Maybe it was that way in the past, but I guess like something must have happened in the last, like, like they are turning it around, they're going hard. And then all that like momentum that I felt like that sense of, I don't have to be afraid to like, Let's have these two characters kiss. Let's in the background. This like I was just wherever I could, just basically adding queerness to like. The, if you see anything queer in the show, I'm proud of them. But like I, I just was like, no one would stop me, and no one was trying to stop. David, what's your reaction to that? I think there's a lot of people that owe the Southern Baptists an apology. Uh, in the 1990s, Joseph, you are, might remember that uh, the Southern Baptist Convention. Uh, put out a statement condemning Giz Disney for their gay days. And there's a lot of people, even uh, Christians, who kind of mocked the Southern Baptists for being prudish, uh, for being outdated. And uh, look what's happening. Uh, Disney is being unmasked. Uh, fascinating the, those comments where she said, no one was trying to stop me. I'm going to sprinkle queerness wherever I can. Uh, again, this shows, Joseph, an intentionality. Uh, this shows uh, that Disney creative people, producers, directors, uh, animators, are, are, they are absolutely committed 
to a worldview uh, that is completely accommodated uh, to the demands and desires of the very far left, the LGBT activist. And I think, again, this I'm glad these videos have come uh, We see these videos because it's showing that this has been going along. For these people to be in these positions of influence, uh, some of them have been at the company for a long time, it shows us that this is uh, something that's been subtle, it's been gradual, uh, but it has now infiltrated the entire Disney Corporation. Uh, And it's sad, Joseph. The family-friendly, family-trusted brand uh, is no longer family-friendly or family-trusted. And when you see those clips, whether it excites you or horrifies you, really just depends on your perspective. Because there are people who would look at that and say, yay, good for her. That's exactly what she could, what she should be doing because they agree with the moral objective of the agenda. But one point I want to make sure we get to here in the conversation is that in the same conversation, they begin to explain why this is so important. Let's go ahead and play clip six. All this content's going for to kids who don't know any of this, and even if they're in a household like Keith uh, that have uh, supportive parents, they're still getting all of this information from media of what is normal. And we just—it's a there's a lot of power to that, and it just needs to be acknowledged. Now, David, for me, this is a point that every mother and father and grandparent watching today needs to understand this is what he just said is that they understand the power of media to define what is normal. And they use the power of story and they use art and the power of music and the combination of all of these things to create an environment where children will see things repeatedly over and over, attitudes, behaviors, scenarios, because they understand that that repetition shapes the hearts and the minds of young people So it affects what they view as normal, what they will celebrate in the future, what they will participate in in the future. Is Disney correct? I think Disney is correct, Joseph. And I think that was the most revealing clip of all, uh, talking about defining what is normal. Uh, This is a form of discipleship. This is a form of catechizing. Uh, You know, Joseph, you and I have talked about how children from K through 12th grade spend 16,000 hours in a classroom, which is why it's so important to focus on education. But children spend... uh, almost every day, several hours as well, consuming media, consuming movies and entertainment. And all of those, Joseph, over time, gradually, subtly, have the effect of cultivating a worldview, of teaching us what is right, what is wrong, uh, what uh, is something that we should uh, aspire to. And I think what we are seeing, Disney is in the, is in the business of cultivating and creating worldviews uh, for the youngest of, uh, of, of Americans. And that's the, you know, the story of Scripture. That's our story. Creation, fall, redemption, consummation. Uh, we're in the business of stories, too. Yeah. And it's increasingly clear the story that we're telling uh, in our churches and in our homes is increasingly at odds with the story that Disney and other woke corporations want to catechize our children in. That's exactly right. But I also think there's another another point to land on here for all the parents, because what Disney gets is that we can shape what feels normal to children. And that's true. And parents also can shape what feels normal to children and pastors can shape what feels normal to children. And I think the questions we need to ask ourselves is, 
are the is the routine are the routines of our life are the situations that we spend our time in are the situations that we put our children in habitually over and over and over again are we making things that should feel normal actually feel normal for the lives of our children does it feel normal to pray together does it feel normal to worship together? Does it feel normal to talk about the things of God together? Or is that weird? Because it only happens occasionally, and it only happens on Sunday morning. So if anybody ever brings up a conversation about God outside of church, it's awkward, because that's not when we do things. And what Disney understands is that by affecting the greetings, by affecting the background scenes in the, in the movies that they create, they are shaping what feels normal. So this isn't just just about us opposing media that normalizes the wrong things so that our kids see mom and dad as a normal situation. Of course, that's good, but we have to aim much higher than that. And it's one of the reasons that to me, education is such an important issue. It's because that's that in classroom environment, how our teacher behaves, how their peers behave, what is accepted and tolerated, what's allowed to happen in those classrooms shapes and defines what feels normal. And if we allow them, if we're not purposeful about those environments, they can become, they start to feel like the wrong things are normal, don't they? No, I agree with you, Joseph. And I think this can be a wake up call for parents. Uh, And this is, this is what the Bible talks about Deuteronomy six, that parents are to be the chief disciple makers in their homes. And I think you just gave a couple of great things. We should normalize uh, praying. Uh, We should normalize family devotionals, uh, family worship. Some of my fondest memories as a child growing up was when we, uh, at the dinner table, we would read scripture together and we would even sing a hymn or two together. I think Christian parents absolutely need to take back uh, this this mantle, this understanding uh, that sees them as first and foremost the disciplers of their children, and I think uh, this conversation we're having is just the first of many in encouraging uh, parents uh, to to help uh, see themselves as the disciplers in their child's life. For a lot of Americans now, it's becoming normal to use ridiculous phrases like pregnant people and say, I don't know what a woman is because they see other people doing that and it becomes normal. We can also normalize goodness and truth, but we have to try to. David, that's all the time we got. Thanks for being with us today. Thank you, Joseph. And friends, thank you for being with us as well. Until next time, fear God and nothing else. We'll see you next time on Washington Watch. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at 1-866-372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234.